2: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha and welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You a Production of iHeart Radio. Today we are so thrilled to once again be joined by the amazing Bridget Todd.
1: Hello Bridget. Hello, Annie, hello, Sam. I'm so excited to be here back with y'all again. Always a delight.
2: We're so excited to have you because as we were just discussing, you have brought to the table a topic we wanted to address. We knew it was super important. But we were like, we better wait for Bridget. Because Bridget, you have got more know-how than than either of us do. You've worked with Facebook. You've interacted with these social media companies. You've just been a huge activist and a very outspoken in this area. And so, so excited (laughs) that we are talking about this today.
3: Yeah. And also, when we're talking about social media, I'm not going to lie. You're one of the people that I see the most of. In all of my social medias, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, typically more Twitter and and then like Instagram. I see your face and the amazing things you're doing. And I have to ask, I cannot figure out how you're doing everything that you are doing because you are constantly on go like I, I see you in all the panels and all the conversations all the interviews everybody wants to talk to you of course but also you live what I am seeing to be my fantasy life in the travel like is this your real life are you as fantastically living as I see because I'm quite jealous of all of the beautiful trips all of the sunset pictures, all the lovely, like, sitting by the water pictures. What is this life? What is your (laughs) life, Bridget? Uh, I'm so glad
1: you asked. So this is actually such a good segue into the topic, which is that I think if you were to check out my Instagram, uh, you would be like, oh, this is a person who lives a phenomenal life. It's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, I, I do the trips. I do the travel. The last few weeks I've been traveling on the road, And I was in the Catskills right outside of Woodstock, New York, which is one of my favorite places to go. And if you were just observing from social media, you would be like, wow, this person barely works. And when she does work, she's just like sitting on a stage and it looks lovely. And then she's like going to the Catskills to her lovely cabin. I posted a picture on Instagram of me in a hot tub overlooking like rolling mountains and like very beautiful fall foliage. And to be like honest, I did spend a lovely week in a lovely cabin in the Catskills, but I was also working the entire time. And so, like, it wasn't really that fun. My partner was there, and they were working the entire time. The picture of me in the hot tub, the hot tub had broken. And so we had two good nights with it. And then when I was in it for that picture, I was like, oh, I don't think it's actually on. It's actually kind of cold, (laughs) even though I look, like, very relaxed. Um, So, no, I mean, like, it's such a, like, curated greatest hits real. And I'm so glad that you asked because I think it's important to demonstrate that, you know, Instagram versus reality, it's not always as peachy keen rosy as it seems.
3: I I have to also put in the fact that not too long ago, you injured yourself and you are still like just riding on with all of these activities that you're doing, including the fact that you are pretty much bossing it up everywhere and doing all of these interviews. Because I'm like, when does this woman ever stop? Does she ever <laughs> stop? Because I'm sitting in my own couch playing the sad <laughs> phone game that I've been obsessed with while watching things on repeat. oh. Oh, I do a lot of that as well. And it's so funny
1: because um, we did our first live taping of my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet in New York, during that trip. And someone was like, oh, wow, you're you're back on your feet from breaking your ankle. And I was like, no, I just, I used my cast and my crutches to get on the stage and I changed my shoes. (laughs) So again, you would think that I'm totally healed. It's like, no, in actuality, I'm still in the cast. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, that is... Such a great segue for what we're talking about. And this story around Facebook and particularly the damage that it does to young girls has, like, caught the national attention recently. The national attention. Um, And, like, it was a skit on SNL. And it's been... Funny slash sad to see these older politicians try to make sense of things like Instagram. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. But it's just so much of what you bring in these episodes just demonstrates the real world damage and impact that we often separate or believe that the internet doesn't have, but it does. So, can you break down this whole thing?
1: I will try my best. There is a lot going on. So, you know, Facebook has had a rough, I mean, a pretty intense few weeks. There's a lot happening. And the thing I really want to focus on is the harm specifically to young girls, like teenage girls. That is not the totality of like what's going on and like the, the, the last few weeks for Facebook and really the last few months for Facebook. But if I were to talk about All the different harmful things that Facebook has done and is doing, you'll be here all day. So I really want to focus on the impact that it has on young girls and teen girls. Because, you know, I just think that, like, it's easy for teen girls and their experiences to be sort of sidelined or marginalized. And so with all the different information coming out, I really want to focus on that. And so just generally kind of like what's happening and sort of why this conversation is taking place the Wall Street Journal published a series of really bombshell exposés about Facebook called The Facebook Files. Um, it's also a podcast, if that's how you prefer to get your media. And it was all based on leaked data from documents from a company gathered by a whistleblower named Francis Hagen, who used to work in Facebook's now defunct civic integrity team. And that was a team that was really tasked with combating things like misinformation and making right. sure that misinformation and disinformation did not like derail elections. And so it's not surprising to me that they dismantled that team. And it's a nine-part series, and it pretty much chronicles Facebook's most harmful and troubling practices and behavior. From this expose, we found out things that, like the fact that high-profile celebrity Facebook users are pretty much exempt from Facebook's moderation rules, and Mm. that Facebook is aware that their platform is used to, quote, promote human trafficking and domestic servitude. And so I would recommend that anybody either read the entire series or listen to the podcast, because there's so... So much there is like every new drop. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. And I'm somebody who studies and works on Facebook and the harm that they, that they perpetuate. Right.
2: <laughs> right. It did seem to be like, oh, wait, and what? Oh, wait, and what now? <laughs> and it's interesting to me because I think we've talked about On the show, but just in society in general, it's interesting to me when we make these jokes, but why are we accepting this as the reality? But one is, you know, Facebook is this place where it is harmful and you're going to get like your weird uncle giving you some strange conspiracy theory. And we're just like, yeah, that's cool. That's what Facebook is. The powers that be were so like, yep. You know, it doesn't really matter because like you said, these issues that are impacting teen girls in this case are just seen as sort of frivolous or like they're being emotional. Like it's just social media. What's the big deal, right? Yeah, but apparently it is a big deal. And it has been making an impact. And Facebook did this. They knew it and they kept going on with their platform and they... um tried to hide it, but now that it's come out, like, uh, (laughs) heavy sigh, heavy sigh. So can you talk about the scope of the issue here?
1: Yes. So as you said, I mean, like, Something to note is that even though we're all talking about it and it's in the news, a lot of this information is really not new. It's stuff that we've known from prior research or um, just from like being a casual user of the platform. If you're a casual user of Facebook even, you probably might have suspected like, oh, Facebook might be uh, making money off of causing harm. And so this is really not surprising, but exactly as you put it, I think why this is news right now is that we're getting an insight into how much Facebook already knew about the harm that their platform causes in our society and how much they're trying to sort of downplay it. And so another reason why we know that this is not a new issue is that there have been Facebook whistleblowers in the past. Sophie Zhang, she's a former Facebook data scientist who uncovered abusive political manipulation using fake engagement. Um, she found a series of multiple blatant attempts by foreign national governments to abuse the platform on vast scales to mislead their own citizenry, which calls international news on multiple occasions. That's that's from her report. The summary of that is basically that, like, you know, accounts belonging to government leaders were using fake accounts to engage with their content, to make it look like it's more popular than it is. So if I if I'm a government leader, and I put out, like, we have plans to do this. And then I have a bunch of fake accounts who were like, yes, we love this plan. We love this plan. We love this plan. It's like building fake agreement for your policies. And so essentially, that's what Sophie Zang uncovered. And, you know, Facebook has been allowing and profiting off of these harmful practices forever, so this is really not new. And I always like to remind people that Facebook started because Mark Zuckerberg, when he was in college created a website called face smash which basically was like a like a way to rank the attractiveness of his female co-students right and so misogyny and attacks on women and harm against women this is like not a mistake it is baked into these platforms like facebook from the very beginning zuckerberg will tell you like oh that's not true that's not true like i happened to build a website called face smash that was shut down and then a few months later created a, a website that was pretty much the same thing called Facebook. Those are unrelated. <laughs> Obviously, that's not true, but that's what he would tell you. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that, that websites and platforms like Facebook are harmful to young women should not be a surprise because, in fact, they were created on that harm. Like That is a big part of why they exist in the first place. And reading this, this expose, it really gets into the harm that Facebook has done in terms of teen girls and young women. So, Trigger warning um you know this talks about eating disorders suicide depression and so that's something that is tough for you to hear about unfortunately that's a lot of what is going on and you know this is really something that is kind of personal to me because you know I love the internet I love being online and I always have and when I first got on the internet like I'm old so this was the late 90s I had so many different kinds of experiences some of them were negative you know I was definitely in chat rooms doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing when I was young. But some of them were also incredibly, like, liberating and self-affirming. Like, if not for having the internet in my in my bedroom, in my, like, small Virginia town, I wouldn't have known that I was, like, a, that I'm queer. I wouldn't have known, like, I don't know that I would be doing what I'm doing today or, like, even living the life that I am living today. Like, that, like, the internet is what allowed me to see myself and fully become myself as an adult. And... I keep thinking, like, this was 1999, and so the ecosystem did not exist to have billionaires making money, profiting off of my negative experiences and negative feelings. And I don't think I would have been able to use the internet as this tool of self-discovery and self-affirmation had that been the case. And I really do think that, like, the younger generation, they deserve to have an online experience that is not a marketplace for their pain, for their negative feelings, and it does not incentivize them to, to be the worst versions of themselves. And I'm really lucky that I came of age when I did, when when there wasn't a marketplace for my pain as a young girl. But today's generation, as these leaks really, really demonstrate, is really not so lucky.
2: I know we've talked before about things like SpawnCon and how these big celebrities, usually women in this case, will, you know, try to sell these items that are all about being thin, usually, in what I'm thinking of. And if I had been young and I had seen that, and like all these challenges people have about being super thin, like that... I know for a fact that would have impacted me. That would have been something that I would have thought, okay, this is normal. I need to try to do that. I need to look this certain way. And those messages were already strong without that. (laughs) I just know for certain that it would. And I am someone who I, the internet is, I love the internet. I think it's a beautiful place for a lot of things. And I know when this Facebook outage happened, people were like, well, you know, on one hand celebrating, but we should also remember like, you know, marginalized people who connect that way and also businesses that run that way, all these things. But it it just has become so, for me, like, I'm going to feel bad about myself right. if I engage in this.
3: It's such a weird dichotomy to me because there's this one group of you see things that I really wish I had seen as a kid. Like So we're talking about people uh, being able to find themselves and not realizing maybe there is a reason why you are this way. Maybe that doesn't make sense that you're home, but there's a community out there that can see you, that knows you and and feels what you feel. But at the same time, you have this other aspect of this untruth, like, like you're talking about this fake persona of happiness that doesn't truly exist. And therefore, if you haven't reached that, or if you don't try to reach that, then you have failed. So these two like vast differences is such a heartbreak to me because I'm like, yes, this is good, but this is not good. So where do we fall on this line? Because I'm not going to lie. It wasn't until after that I saw all the notifications that all these things were down that I realized it was not even down. I was like, oh, is that what happened? Okay, cool. I just assumed me being me, my technology wasn't up and going. So I moved on to whatever the next thing was. But this conversation that we have when we see how much of an influence and that is the influence. There's no real middle ground, especially when we talk about the younger generations about it, they're going to be influenced. Whether it's the positive side that they're on or the negative side that they're on, they're on one of them. And I couldn't imagine what that feels like today and I'm insecure as hell as an adult. So coming as an, a teen, trying to really figure out who they are and and feeling like maybe their, their home life isn't what they want or what they need or it's not healthy and then having to go to this spot, to this space and you don't know what's safe anymore. And I think about that with my nieces and nephew that I'm like, oh my God, this is what they're growing up with. And I see that level of like, how do we help them? But at the same time, not... Try to pull them away from the world, make them naive and not be a part of the world. Such a weird thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you just articulated such a tension that I feel as someone who loves social media, uses social media, but is really clear about these downfalls and these negative aspects of it. It can be used to find community, feel less alone, you know, build movements, but it can also be used in these incredibly damaging and negative ways. And I think. You really put it so well, Sam, this idea of like, you know, we know from, from this leak and from the Facebook, you know, Facebook's own words and their own data that platforms, their algorithms really do incentivize, you know, the negative. And so you see more content that is polarizing or that makes you angry or that is incendiary rather than content that is like positive or affirming or, or that kind of thing. Like algorithms prioritize the bad. and. I think that young people can have all different kinds of experiences online, some of them good, some of them bad. But it's a problem when platforms incentivize the bad, right? When they traffic in the bad, when they promote and amplify the bad. So it's not just like a neutral experience where whoever is using the the platform can decide if they want to gravitate toward experiences online that are going to be affirming and good and, you know, all of that stuff or bad and extreme and incendiary and polarizing. When you have an algorithm that is prioritizing one over the other, which we know that they are. And, you know, it, it's in putting together the research for this episode, you know, I'm an adult, right? I'm a fully grown person and I struggle with insecurity. I struggle with, you know, self image. I struggle with comparing myself to my peers. I struggle with all of that stuff. And I'm a fairly like confident, secure person. When I was younger, I, I'm so lucky that social media wasn't the way that it was now when I was younger. Like Annie, you were just saying, like, I know that that would have really been hard for me. I know that I would have struggled. I know that I, that, that it just would have been a bad time. It would not, the internet would not have been a place of self-discovery. It would have been a place where I went to think about all the ways that I didn't measure up. And it makes me so sad that that is exactly the experience that we are allowing for young people today. Like That is just like their experience of being online is one of, you know, feeling bad about themselves. Yeah. And I hate that. I right. hate that for them. They deserve, they deserve so much better.
3: Right. And, you know, as a person who again, we've talked about this, as like being on the inside of seeing what that damage can do, being a part of a workforce that worked with at-risk teens, trying to hold people accountable. I can't imagine. So we have some of these leaked documents that I know, and I've seen a few uh, tweets and articles talking about how these women specifically have felt threatened and are feeling at this point, even now, like, oh, this is dangerous. I've come to dangerous grounds. But, With this happening internally, people have had to know, how has this allowed to happen? What are they saying inside of this company that they're like, eh, whatever? Like, how are they even trying to frame this?
1: Yes. So let's get into that. So one thing to note is that a lot of this pertains to Instagram, but it's important to note that Facebook owns Instagram. They take a lot of steps to try to conceal that fact, but they're the same company. Uh, And so here are some of the findings from the Wall Street Journal expose. Since at least 2019, Facebook has been studying the impact of its platform on younger users. Their research has repeatedly found that it is harmful to a large portion, especially teen girls. Here's a direct quote from a slide from an internal Facebook presentation in 2019. We make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. In another presentation, they internally said, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Another slide said, teens blame Instagram for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression they feel. Their reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. And another leaked study found that 17% of teen girls say their eating disorders got worse after using Instagram. And, you know, so this is from their own internal documents of so is stuff that they knew, that they talked about with each other. Facebook also internally is aware of the link between their platform and things like depression and suicide. According to their internal studies, Of users who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% in the U.K. and 6% in the U.S. traced them back to Instagram. Another transatlantic study found that more than 40% of Instagram users who reported feeling unattractive said that they began feeling that way on Instagram. And about a quarter of the teenagers who reported feeling not good enough said it started on Instagram. And again, this is not really like news news because studies have been showing that Instagram is like, the most negative platform for teens for a while. In 2017, a study by Young Minds and the Royal Society for Public Health uh, showed that Instagram had the most negative impact on young people's mental health of all the social media networks. And, you know, if you're thinking something like, oh, well, maybe this is just a social media problem, maybe all social media platforms are bad, you know, yes, all social media platforms have their negative aspects, but these findings were specific to Instagram. And so that's really because Instagram is one of the only platforms that really sort of um encourages what facebook calls quote social comparison and so it's this thing where it's like you are feeling pressure to compare your life to someone else and so think about a platform like tiktok right like that's a platform that is really kind of performance based right it does not invite comparison the way that instagram does and so again like I have definitely had times where I wake up and I scroll Instagram and I see all my peers and their seemingly perfect lives and I put my phone down and I feel like crap. You know, even as an adult, it's so easy to succumb to this pressure that you have to be perfect and have to like show your best moments. But I think especially for young people who are so impressionable, you know, it can really morph into things like depression, self-esteem, eating issues, food issues, and We should not just be accepting that. Like, that should not just be, like, the cost of those young people being on social media. It should be imperative to create a social media experience that does not profit off of these terrible harms to our children, our kids.
3: Right. And I'm not going to lie, it makes me want to scream. Like, what's the point of doing all this research? Obviously, they wanted to know, but they haven't really fixed anything. They haven't helped anything. As in fact, when we talk about SpawnCon, the whole idea is like they bring on people, they sponsor people who make it look easy. And it takes incredibly hard to tell what's real and what's not, because half the things is like, this is definitely ad, but is it? Because they push it forward and say, this is the ideal situation. This, these people's lives this is what you should seek. And therefore, we're going to give you some help by you can allowing you to buy these things to meet that standard. It's such a weird thing because they push this. It's, it's a part of their narrative. Oh, absolutely. Like the expose showed these internal like Slack conversations
1: and um, whatever the Facebook internal Slack version of Slack is. I can't remember what it is, but you have people at Facebook talking about these these studies and these findings being like, oh, like, isn't that the fun of Instagram? You know, comparing yourself to other people and seeing how like the 1% of like really hot people live. Like, you know, I thought that was like the whole point. And the way that they talk so callously about it, like, oh yeah, isn't that what people want from our platform to constantly be comparing themselves to unattainable, airbrushed, Filtered versions of a reality that could not possibly exist, you know? And just like their, their inability to see how harmful that would be. You know, I remember when I first realized how often people are using filters and FaceTune and things like that on their pictures. Because I would see these women where it's like, how is it possible to have a waist that thin and a butt that nice? Like, really? it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like how like how are you how are you standing up and walking around without falling over? It doesn't make sense. And I was like, oh. It does, it's not real. It's it doesn't actually real. look that way.
3: And let's not talk about the fact that most of these people are white women or white right. community. And so let's talk about being a person of color, really being ashamed of being a person of color and realizing, oh, it's, it's still the f- standard to be white, to be small, to be uh, you know young. This is the standard that we should be attaining to. Thank you. One more time of There's something that I can't change and be.
1: Absolutely. Isn't it interesting that when you use what platforms call beauty filters right.
3: on a non-white
1: face, the beauty filter pretty much translates to like, oh, you made your lips and nose thinner. Right. We basically made you look white. And it's like, oh, well, so what are you trying to say? Like, or like <laughs> what is really, what are you trying to say?
3: I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a feeling you and I are in the same boat because oftentimes these filters, I'm like, nothing changed. I don't understand what's happening. Right. You can't lighten my dark brown <laughs> eyes to be blue. On, what is this? And literally being confused about how they look that way. And I was like, oh, these are for white people. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, and that's, that's
1: kind of like, not to go off on a tangent, but like even that concept alone is so harmful in tech. And it's so common. Like they just came out with a new iPhone a couple of weeks ago. And they're people, I, I don't have it. I still have my old janky, earlier model iPhone, but apparently this is the first camera that can actually take decent pictures of people with darker skin. And part of me is like, iPhone has been out since, what, 2007? And y'all finally realize that people who are not white exist. And for so long, if you were somebody who didn't have, like, light skin... To get a decent picture of yourself on an iPhone, you had to be meticulous about your lighting and your angles. And if you weren't, you came out like a shadow blob monster. And it's like, (laughs) wow, finally, after all these years, y'all have developed a technology that can just take my photo and Mm -hmm. have it not look wild. Right.
3: So I can't imagine. I have a feeling uh, that if we looked at the percentage of young teens of color, the numbers would be higher for those who are completely marginalized in that within that community of seeing like, oh, I really wish that I was not my ethnicity. You know, just, just being going beyond that, that how, uh, yeah, it, Facebook is racist. Like, let's just really add that to the caveat of not only are they sexist, not only are they uh, uh, fat shaming, not only do they have all of these things, but yeah, they are racist as well because they have, again, the standard of the white man who, yeah. To me, he is the villain in this story. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Mark Zuckerberg is the villain. But also, it's it's he's the villain, but also Sheryl Sandberg. Like, yeah. She, like, there are so many villains in this story. And I don't know how Sheryl Sandberg has not been able to be, like, the public face of villainry here. But it really is, like, these people are knowingly making lots and lots of money off of the pain and harm, and sometimes the deaths of our children. And it's just, when I intellectualize that, it's like, how is that okay? How how is it okay that like, people are getting rich off of harming our kids? It's for all the different ways that we talk about, you know, protecting children and protecting youth. It's like, here is a clear way that our kids are being harmed. And not just that, People are making money off of it. Right. And we've just internalized that, like, that's just how it is. And it's completely unacceptable to me.
2: Yeah. Agreed.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers...
3: The villains
2: of Zuckerberg. (laughs) What are they saying publicly? Like, are they, have
1: they made any promises of change? Anything at all? So, this is where it gets juicy, right? So, like, all the different harmful things that they do, we kind of knew about that before. It's new to know that how much they knew in terms of their harm, but they also say a completely different thing publicly than they do internally at Facebook. And so when Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg, testified before Congress in March, he said, the research that we've seen is that using social media apps to connect with other people can have positive mental health benefits. So all of these leaks show he knew that wasn't true. He knew all these different ways that his platform and his product create harm. And he, it seems to me, you know, I'm no lawyer, it seems to me that he was actively misleading both Congress, lawmakers, and the public about what he knew. And we all know, you know, Facebook has a history of really not being honest. Again, if I were to list all the different examples, we would be here all day. But one that I have like like personal firsthand knowledge of is remember back in like 2016 when all these different publications were pivoting to video? Well, basically like that was based on Facebook really deeply exaggerating the uh, metrics of video. And so they were like, oh, video is the thing. Video was getting so much more attraction than any other kind of medium. And so at the time I worked in media and so many of my coworkers, so many of my colleagues all lost their jobs at media companies because Facebook overinflated and exaggerated the metric of video content on their platform. And so again, I'm no lawyer, but like, That's a lie. This would not be the first time that Facebook has misled the public and others about what's happening at their company, saying one thing when another thing is actually, when they know another thing to actually be true. And I I remember that time in media, like Facebook made it so difficult to, like I left media because I just felt like media companies were capitulating to whatever Facebook said. And so if Facebook said it's video, if you didn't do video content, you basically knew that you were going to get fired. If Facebook said, like, we were just catering to the whims of this massive company, and it just became so impossible to do that work. And so, you know, an entire generation of, of journalists face such instability and chaos because Facebook misrepresented their own findings. And so, according to Hagen's legal team, Facebook executives, including Zuckerberg, misstated and omitted key details about what was known about Facebook's and Instagram's ability to cause harm. And her attorneys also allege that Facebook violated the U.S. securities laws by lying to investors. And again, like, I'm no lawyer, I'm no expert on this particular part of it, but like, when you say one thing in, when you're testifying to Congress, when you know another thing to be true, that seems like a problem to me. I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I think that's lying. I don't, I don't know. I think so. I think you're right.
3: <laughs> I know when it comes to like stocks and stuff, that is really really bad. And you will get arrested and fired because yeah, you just made up in order to pretend like you have made profit in order to make more profit. Exactly.
1: Um, <laughs> it's it is really well to me. It's like and it's one of these things where I feel like I don't know if it's capitalism or just like a nuance of living in a country like America where some things are lies and some things are, are, are true. And I think that we've kind of accepted that like, oh, well, of course a big business has to like misrepresent a few things in public to make a buck. And it's like, wait, no, stop. Is that, is that really how it should be? That we should just allow that like, it's okay for businesses to behave in this manner that is literally killing kids to make money? Is like, I feel like this whole Facebook conversation is a good place for a hard stop of what we will allow businesses to do without any kind of accountability. Right.
2: And that's been a piece of this conversation is when people talk about regulating Facebook or how could we potentially deal with this problem, people have brought up other industries and what they have done, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. So after all of this Facebook stuff was going down, Adam Masseri, the head of Instagram, who... I have a lot of feelings about him. I won't get into it now, but like he's just someone who, because he runs Instagram, I feel like tries to have a kind of quirky public persona and it's like, well, your platform is killing kids. So like, I don't really care about your quirky socks, but (laughs) (laughs) that's either here or there. Basically, after all this went down, he went on the podcast Recode and offered a really terrible, but also very telling analogy in response to all of this. He said, we know that more people die than otherwise would because of car accidents. But by and large, cars create way more value in the world than they destroy, and I think social media is similar. So that analogy is wild for a couple of different reasons. One is just the, like cars, like the car industry. We know that industry is incredibly regulated by federal and state governments, right? Like I got to take my car in every so often to get it inspected by the state, and they have to tell me if it's okay. You know, your car has to have seatbelts, this, that, and the third that are all you know dictated by the state. And we know that, like, the auto industry had to be basically forced into adopting safety measures that they knew would save lives. And so I hate this analogy, but if that's the analogy he wants to use, then it sounds like what he is saying is like, oh, we need to be heavily regulated so that we don't harm people the same way that the automobile industry is, right? It's like, uh, what's funny is that when he brought that up, the person who was interviewing him was like, oh, well, you know, the car industry is very regulated and he was like, well, you know, we're open to regulation but we can't have too much regulation either and it's like, well, what do you want? (laughs) You just want to be able to harm people for profit with no regulation whatsoever? (laughs)
3: like, take my analogy but don't really take my analogy. Thanks. Right. right.
2: (laughs) Also, analogy often used in comic books and is always turned around so this guy clearly doesn't know his (laughs) X-Men.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. I feel like once you when you make that analogy, you're opening yourself up to so many like, you know, <laughs> uh, gotchas and like brick walls. It's like, why even go there? But one of one of my favorite folks in the disinformation space, this amazing researcher from the Shorenstein Institute at Harvard, Dr. Joan Donovan. She's like one of my heroes. Um, she actually has a much better analogy which is big tobacco. So we know that big tobacco companies, they knew internally that their products caused cancer, yet they misled both lawmakers and the public about it for a very long time. And, you know, that's why we had the Master Settlement Agreement in 1998, which led to some accountability for the tobacco companies, you know, misleading the public about the link between tobacco and cancer. And so, Facebook is kind of doing the same thing, misleading lawmakers and the public about the harm that they already have demonstrated that they know their product causes. And so I think that's a really useful analogy because, yeah, like, should a company be able to mislead lawmakers in the public about the harm they know their product causes to make money? If you agree that the big tobacco company should not have done that, it seems like Facebook is doing something very similar.
3: Right. As in fact, it's doing something just as similar in that the old school campaigns for tobacco were directed towards children and saying like, look how cool you are if Mm -hmm. you smoke. And (laughs) women, to be thin. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes.
1: It's honestly like, when I heard that comparison, it blew my mind because it's the same thing. Marketing toward young people, marketing toward women, like the way that Facebook and tobacco companies have harmed these specific marginalized groups, groups that don't always get a lot of attention or or have the biggest platforms, you know, women, young people. It is so similar. And I think that's something that really, really gets me about this whole thing is that, you know, Facebook, we know now that Facebook knew how harmful their product was to young people. And yet they continued to try to market to young people, push it to younger and younger audiences. I think on Sminty once before, I talked about how, Facebook had had plans to roll out a version of Instagram specifically for kids, knowing that their product was already so harmful to young people. And they continued to court younger and younger users. Like, straight up, Facebook does not care if kids are being hurt, harmed, killed, whatever, if it makes them more money. And internal documents showed that they had plans to market to kids who were uh, 10 to 12 years old. They called 10 to 12-year-olds, a valuable but untapped audience. And another report suggested that Facebook should look into a way to leverage play dates to drive um, growth among kids. You know, it is so vile that they knew that their product had such a harmful impact on this young demographic, and yet they continue to discuss how they could spread that harm to kids younger and younger. Right? Because, like, you got to be 13 to get an Instagram account. And they were like, well, you got to be 13 to have an Instagram account. But 10 to 12-year-olds, we really got to figure out how to harm them, too. And they're doing it for money. They're getting rich off of it.
3: I swear it's a skit. I've seen the skit before about this, like, trying to. I don't know if it was, like, Suits or something. But they're like, but we haven't gotten to the toddlers yet. So how do we market? So it was like diaper formal wear was like the key. And I was like, what is happening? Is this real life? It's an Onion article, SNL skit come to life. And I think it's also hilarious and sad that you did. You completely talked about this whole idea that Instagram had of trying to uh, get younger audiences, essentially, and younger buyers. And you talked about the fact that y'all went in and was like, hey, <laughs> Bad idea, and this was even before these reports came out. yes, and I mean,
1: if they already knew their product was hurting young people to just try to further get that lock on younger and younger communities, it's just i mean I, I, I think it's just evil like that like that's only like I think that Facebook is an evil company. I think that they are making money by spreading harm to younger and younger folks, and it's just vile. but I think it's also kind of telling because it kind of leads me to believe that Facebook might not be as powerful as we maybe once thought. You know, young people are not really into Facebook. They use Instagram a lot more, but like regular Facebook, Facebook is where you go to like see your weird old aunt's like nonsensical Facebook posts or your dad's, if you're you're me, my dad's Facebook post that just says the word test. You know, like (laughs) it's like not where you're going to have cool experiences. And the fact that they filled the need to lock in and market to younger and younger audiences kind of makes me think that, like, maybe they're not as as big as we think they are. Or they don't have as, as, as much of a hold on certain demographics as they might need to, right? And so, like, social media companies that are doing well don't need to aggressively find all of these little scams to lock in younger and younger users. And we know something about Facebook is that their MO is kind of, I don't want to say stealing, but, like, adopting things from other platforms that are more successful with like, younger users. And so when Instagram rolled out stories, like disappearing stories, that was essentially, you know, them copying Snapchat, which was very popular with young people. When they started doing Reels, that was essentially them copying TikTok, which we know is very, very popular with young people. And so the fact that they are doing all of these little things to lock in younger and younger users might actually mean that their business model is suffering because they're not getting new user base they would need to keep their their platforms relevant and that like if they have an older and aging user base, you know, that model is only sustainable for so long. And it also means that maybe they're kind of against the ropes and we might actually get somewhere in terms of creating accountability for the kind of harm that we know they are spreading and mitigating further harm, which I hope is accurate. I hope that like the fact that they're doing these like increasingly more desperate ways to court increasingly younger audiences means that they're not actually as powerful of a tech behemoth as we might have thought.
0: Right. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers
2: you know, the, these bombshell accounts and this whistleblower in Congress testifying. And it seems like this is an issue that has touched people across all lines and people can relate to and, and are care about, <laughs> uh, want to do something about. Is that a correct assumption?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that kind of excites me and gives me a lot of hope is that there is actually rare bipartisan support for the idea that something needs to be done about Facebook. Democrats and Republicans are actually very much united with the idea of regulating Facebook. Um, after this Wall Street Journal uh, expose came out on Capitol Hill, Hagan testified at a hearing of the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Subcommittee on Consumer Protection, Product Safety, and Data Security. Phew, uh, that's a mouthful. And at this hearing, after she testified, her, her testimony was amazing. But Republican Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas told the subcommittee chair Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, that they should put aside their partisan differences to, to tackle this common goal of reigning in Facebook. And they agreed. They agreed that they had more similarities than differences on the issue and that the differences they did have were very, very minor. And so Blumenthal said this, about the testimony. If you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know if it was a Republican or a Democrat. Every part of the country has the harms that are inflicted by Facebook and Instagram. And I think it is really heartening to see an issue where everybody's on the same side. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Everybody can agree that our kids should not, there should not be a marketplace for the pain and the harm of our children and that it needs to stop. And honestly, I think they're exactly right. We should reject this idea that it's just okay for companies to be making profit off of hurting our kids. Our kids deserve better. Um, I don't really care what happens to the finances of a Mark Zuckerberg or an Adam Mosseri or a Sheryl Sandberg if it means creating a safer ecosystem for our children. I think they deserve it.
3: I mean, let's be honest, if they stopped making money today, they'd be fine. Better off than most people. They'll
1: be fine. They'll be fine. Like, (laughs) they have enough money, they'll be fine. Right.
3: (laughs) But uh, yeah, I find it interesting that this is that conversation, that this is the the one thing that's tied everyone together. Because, yeah, I think if you go to either side, when it comes to the controversial or even the conspiracy theory level, the the, one thing you can agree upon is that the other believes that the other is out to get them and giving misinformation because of these social medias.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so true. And it's actually like, (laughs) in working in like tech accountability, that's something that I always find kind of funny is that like hardcore conservatives believe they are being censored on Facebook. Super progressive lefty folks believe they are being censored on Facebook. Have you ever seen that meme where it's a (laughs) black hand and a white hand, like, like shaking hands and they both agree, it's like, Everybody kind of agrees they don't like what's going down on Facebook. It doesn't matter what side you're on, what, you know, we all agree we don't like what's happening on Facebook. (laughs) And so it it feels good to be united against a clear common enemy.
2: (laughs) Speaking of tech accountability, I mean, we wouldn't know about a lot of this, even though we had kind of known, but we wouldn't have had like the hard data and facts if this whistleblower hadn't come out and taken that risk and and determined for herself like we the people need to know this. Oh. Yeah, so like the importance of whistleblowers for this whole conversation. Um and I know that's something that you have talked about before.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I so obviously this is like bombshell news and I'm so glad that folks are discussing it. But it is so important to not lose sight of the fact that whistleblowers are really especially in tech are really important. On my podcast there are no girls on the internet. We have a series highlighting women of color whistleblowers in tech and it does not surprise me that so many whistleblowers are women and women of color. And I think that it is so important to support them and to highlight their stories. Um one of my favorite tech whistleblowers is one of again one of my like heroes, Ifoma Uzoma. She blew the whistle on gender and racial discrimination at the company Pinterest and just actually passed groundbreaking legislation in California to free the victims of racial and gender discrimination at tech companies from non-disclosure acts. So if you signed an NDA, but you were the victim of discrimination, you previously, it could be sued if you talked about that experience. But uh, because of this legislation, the Silent No More Act, she is actually freed victims of discrimination up to talk about their experiences. And so, you know, I would encourage everybody to, you know, you can listen to the series that we have on whistleblowers, but also in addition to listening to um, Frances Hagen's testimony, make sure that you read about Sophie Zhang's story. You know, I mentioned Sophie Zhang earlier. She was a former Facebook employee. She's a trans woman of color who was a previous Facebook whistleblower. And she deserves so much praise for the work of identifying harm that Facebook was doing when she worked there, working internally to try to mitigate it. And when that did not work, speaking up about it after she left. And, you know, whistleblowing is scary, thankless, dangerous work. And it's often the work of women. And I think that it's work that is, e- becomes even more dangerous the more marginalized you are. So if you're a woman... It's more its more dangerous to, do, to be a whistleblower as a woman than as a man. It is more dangerous to be a whistleblower as a woman of color than as a white woman. And it's more dangerous to be a whistleblower as a trans woman than a cis woman, right? And so whistleblowing is not this, like, gender-neutral, race-neutral, identity-neutral thing. It really does take into account our identities. And so, you know, I've already seen these attacks on Hagan that are like, oh, she must just be a disgruntled employee or she doesn't really know what she's talking about. Like in their response, a Facebook comms person was like, oh, well, you know, she never had any direct reports. She never really worked on this or that. You know, really trying to minimize her experiences and her voice or saying that she's just doing it for publicity or for money. And it's like, people do not do the scary, thankless, dangerous work of whistleblowing because they want to get a check, right? Like it is incredibly destabilizing to your entire life and often like your family life to to blow the whistle like this. And so I think it's important that we remember that there are women and women of color who risk so much and take on such a huge personal cost to get us this information. And I think we owe it to them to do something about it once they do.
3: Mm. And this story, just what you were saying alone, reminds me of the Google uh, employee you had brought to us as well. In that same, like, they just want to discredit instead of acknowledge the problems. And so many uh, are used to discrediting women and women of color and women who are marginalized in the LGBTQ community. Like, it's just such a, almost by the playbook uh, when it comes to the misogynist, racist ideals of the U.S. that unfortunately it still kind of works. Yes,
1: I mean, exactly. Like the situation at Google with Timnit Jabrew. like she, I think that it's, for a lot of women and women of color, we're already seen as, margin- we're already marginalized, we're already seen as like perpetual outsiders. And so when we speak up, when we practice public courage and public morality and say like, this bad thing is happening and it's not great, it's, we should, it shouldn't be happening. It's so easy for people to discredit us, to crap on us, to say like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, And I think like, it is so important that in the face of that, that we support women who speak up. It's it, because, you know, It's just, there's already a, an attitude waiting and ready and willing to suppress their voices. Absolutely. And I
2: thank you so much for bringing their names to our attention and for bringing this topic to our attention. And do you want to, are there any resources you want to shout out? And also where can the good listeners find you?
1: One thing I want to note is there are some organizations and initiatives that you can follow if you're interested in knowing more. So you can always check out my work at Ultraviolet. Um, we are a gender justice organization, a feminist organization that is really working to keep gender at the forefront of tech harms. You can go to weareultraviolet.org to find out more. And the Kairos Foundation is actually putting together a campaign asking folks to log out of uh, Facebook uh, this November. And so if you're if you're someone who's thinking like, gee, I don't like what I'm hearing about Facebook and I want to do whatever I can to divest from Facebook a little bit more, check out Kairos' campaign uh, this November about how you can do that. And yeah, if you want to hear more conversations about women, whistleblowers, and just women in tech who are trying to speak up and trying to practice moral courage um, and trying to act as the conscious of tech platforms in the tech industry, you can check out my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, where we are having conversations about what it means to practice that kind of public courage and public bravery in tech. So we would love to have you. Yes,
2: definitely. Definitely go check it out. It's amazing. Uh, you can find Bridget online. Also, it always feels so weird when you're like, this social media platform problems, but find me on there. if you would Yeah,
1: like. I mean, pretty pretty much every like t- every like tech accountability organization right now, and activist and organizer right now is going through the same thing of like, well, I hate Facebook, but I'm on Facebook. What do I do? <laughs> but if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC and on Twitter at Bridget Marie. <laughs> and you
2: should. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for being here Bridget it was a pleasure as always listeners if you would like to contact us you can our email is momstuff at iheartmedia.com you can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told you or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast thanks as always to our super producer Christina thank you and thanks to you for listening Stuff I've Never Told you is a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts from iHeartRadio visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows